Welcome to Seeking Paradise, Reflections on Spirituality, Community and Justice. Our first reading comes from Robert Weston, who also provides the words for the meditation later in this service. Cherish your doubts, for doubt is the attendant of truth. Doubt is the key to the door of knowledge. It is the servant of discovery. A belief that may not be questioned binds us to error, for there is incompleteness and imperfection in every belief. Doubt is the touchstone of truth. It is an acid which eats away the false. Let no one fear for the truth, that doubt may consume it, for doubt is a testing of belief. The truth stands bold and unafraid. It is not shaken by the testing, for truth, if it be truth, arises from each testing stronger, more secure. Those that would silence doubt are filled with fear. Their houses are built on shifting sands, but those who fear not doubt and know its use are founded on rock. They shall walk in the light of growing knowledge. The work of their hands shall endure. Therefore, let us not fear doubt, but let us rejoice in its help. It is to the wise as a staff to the blind. Doubt is the attendant of truth. Second reading is from Albert Schweitzer. Faith which refuses to face indisputable facts is but little faith. Truth is always gain, however hard it is to accommodate ourselves to it. To linger in any kind of untruth proves to be a departure from the straight way of faith. One evening many years ago, or a few years ago, um, I had a meeting in Manchester. This was when I was living in Bolton. And I had to uh, get back from this meeting in the evening on a cold, uh, rainy winter night uh, back home. And it was, I can't really remember what the meeting was, but I think I didn't particularly enjoy the meeting. I was feeling a bit grumpy, um, a bit of a difficult meeting, and I kind of was in a bad mood coming out of the meeting then. Had to get back, get a bus and then a train back home to Bolton. Um, and it was one of those situations where I was kind of rushing, trying to get my train. And then I think they changed the, the platform the train was going on. So I went from one platform to another platform, got on a train and off we went. At the first stop, I realised that I was on the wrong train. And I was already in a bad mood and now I was on the wrong train. I was on the train to Wigan, not the train to Bolton. Um, and that's not at least not totally in the wrong direction. It's not, I'd have noticed if it'd been gone in, if it'd gone out of the train station in a different direction, but it's also not the right way. It's also not going to get me home. So I thought, oh, what am I going to do now? Um, so we decided to get off at the next, um, stop, which is Atherton, which is only sort of about four miles outside of Bolton. So I thought oh, I'll get off there and I'll, I'll get a taxi and I'll get home. That's, it's, it's a doable thing to do that, to get home. Um, so I ordered myself an Uber um, and the, the Uber driver turned up and said, take me 
to Bolton. Um, and so I got talking to the taxi driver, the Uber driver, as you do. Um, and, you know, he and I was, you know, tired, in a mood, wanting to get home. And he started saying to me, oh, you know, I've been looking into this flat earth thing. I've been watching some videos on the Internet. And I think, oh, I'll, I think there's something here to this. I think it's quite interesting, he says to me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I cannot cope. <laughs> in this moment after everything that's happened to me tonight i can't cope with a flat earther that's driving me home and i thought i don't know what i said i said something like well i'm not sure i agree with that um but i didn't get into a whole debate because i didn't want to get into a whole debate with someone that was just not in the mood but it was just the topped off that 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 crazy journey the fact that i get driven home by a flat earther um and I realised later what I should have said. I thought, what well, you know, you always think later what you should have said. Um, and it occurred to me, like, that the very technology he was using to do his job depends on satellites orbiting the Earth, right? To do a job where you've got the, the thing to your phone and the thing to my phone and it says where I am and uh, GPS and all of that. Like, that depends on the satellites that are in the, in the sky, right? To do that job, which, ha which wouldn't work if the Earth was flat. And so it's like, wow like the technology you're using to do your job, you're questioning the, 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 the truth of what enables you to function in the, in the way you're doing, you know. It's, de it's pretty depressing, really, that in the 21st century, we're seeing a resurgence of flat earth theory. I mean, yeah, it's a tiny, tiny minority, you know, on the internet, but it's, it's there. Um, and that's, really depressing right it's really depressing if you grew up like me on on hopeful science fiction that that in the future we become more technologically and scientifically advanced and we become wiser and cleverer then it's pretty depressing it's a pretty depressing thought that we're actually going backwards at this point now we're actually not going towards that science fiction future we're going towards the recreation of of medieval ideas not even i mean lots of people in the medieval times knew the earth was round it's not even um i mean it's ancient ideas actually i mean people from ancient greeks know that they knew the world was round um it's a bit of a myth that you people used to think it up so you know a few hundred years ago it's actually most people have thought the earth was round actually so it's it's is depressing that this is somehow one very basic thing is up for debate really really fundamental stuff about the nature of the world is getting less understood not more understood by a lot of people and i suppose it's because we live in, in a world where there's so much information going around and there's so much communication going around that a lot you know communication is so easy anyone can make a video set up a website and and there's so much of everything that it becomes in a way more difficult to understand the world because you have to filter out the nonsense to be able to understand the world. And so we're kind of discovering a, a, an ignorance on the other side of knowledge as a society, right? Our society becomes more and more knowledgeable until there's too much knowledge in a way, too much knowledge certainly for one person to understand. And so it becomes easier to get duped into stuff that's just plain wrong. 
And maybe now we, we live in an age of irrationality. And so if that's true, I think we need more than ever to practice rationality. The thing is, reason is a muscle. It's something we have to keep using or it just becomes, becomes weaker. We need the ability to recognize when something doesn't make sense, when an argument doesn't add up, when something just isn't true. And the thing is, you can do experiments to prove the Earth is round. You can do experiments that prove the curvature of the Earth. That's fairly easy to do uh, as an amateur. That's something that it is possible just as an amateur to do experiments that prove the curvature of the Earth. You could do that. Um, but then again, I haven't. I assume you haven't actually done experiments yourself to prove that. And do we have to? No, we don't have to, right? Reasoning does need to take, in, take into account the authority of expertise, right? That's not, that's not an irrational thing to do. We can't only believe the facts that we have personally proved. We can't do that. If that were true, I could doubt the existence of literally everything that I've not personally proved exists to my satisfaction. I could doubt the existence of the Isle of Man because I've never been to the Isle of Man. So I have no proof personally that it exists. But if we're going to be that radically skeptical about the world, we get to the point of being honestly not be able to prove that, you know, I'm not, you're not um, a brain in a jar being fed virtual reality. Like there's actually no way of proving that you're not a brain in a jar being fed virtual reality. But if we're going to kind of function in life on the, on the assumption that reality is real, um, we're going to have to accept some things are true. We're going to have to trust some things are true. Trust things that, we haven't personally proved ourselves because we live in a society, right? So the existence of the Isle of Man, I, I choose to believe that the Isle of Man does exist, even though I've not personally proved that it exists because I choose to believe the people who tell me it exists. I choose to believe the maps. And part of what I'm saying in doing that is making a judgment about what is more likely to be true. Is it more likely to be true that there's a massive international conspiracy of lies to convince me that an island exists in the Irish Sea that isn't really there? Or is there really an island there, like all the maps say, even though I've not personally proved it by going there myself? Which is more likely to be true? And I know that's silly. I know it's a silly example. It's a deliberately silly example. But when it comes to something like climate change, it becomes less silly. And we have to make the same kind of judgments. What is more likely to be true? Is it more likely to be true that a massive conspiracy of thousands of scientists, of David Attenborough, of whoever, uh, making up loads of data to convince us something isn't true for some a uh, mysterious reason, is that likely or is it more likely that there is a massive change happening in climate caused by humans, but dealing with it will cause such disruption to capitalism, to the oil industry, to political power, 
So there's some reluctance to get on with it. There's some playing down of the issues. There's some confusion that's been deliberately sowed to make a debate where there is no debate there. Like, which is more likely to be true? It's not that one can be 100% proved. It's very rarely that one thing can be 100% proved, but we don't function in life by 100% proving everything. Like, I would get a ferry to the Isle of Man and I wouldn't have 100% proved it, but I would trust it enough that that would be worth doing because that's how you function in life, right? You have to function by making judgments without 100% proof of everything. So that's not what we do. We don't 100% prove everything, but we make judgments what seems to be likely to be true in a normal everyday life. And that's the judgment we have to make. What seems more likely to be true between two scenarios, a conspiracy theory or this, right? Which is more likely to be true. And a lot depends on our abilities to make these kinds of judgments. Some educational experts are talking about the need for us to teach these skills in schools, to teach critical thinking of spotting bad arguments, of spotting false information, of spotting lies and conspiracy theories and, and political nonsense. And I think that makes a huge amount of sense that as, as, as children and as, as citizens, ultimately, that we do have to be, have the skills to reason and to spot the difference between truth and untruth. Because actually, if we don't, it's very dangerous because then we start getting sucked into fascism, ultimately. Think, 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 said the English politician Barbara Castle. It will hurt like hell at first, but you will get used to it. But the fact is this, there aren't simple logical formulas that always guarantee getting it right. It's almost never the kind of logic that if A is true, then B must be true as well. In real life, it's hardly ever that straightforward. It's a messy and it's a communal process of making judgments of examining things. You know, reason is not a machine that guarantees getting it right. It's a muscle we have to, to work to get better at using it. But it's vital that we do that. It's vital that we do that for our society to be able to tell the difference between falsehood and truth. That's a skill that we need. That's a skill that we need to hold on to. But the more, the more human, the more um, meaningful, the less factual a decision is, the less likely kind of pure logic will help us. If we need to understand the truth of the climate crisis, then we need reason to help us to get to that truth. But if you're trying to decide whether to marry someone, does reason help? Well, if, if there's a fact, like they're cheating on you, then maybe that's a fact that reason could help you discover. Maybe that would help you make that decision. But assuming there isn't a factor of something like that, there's going to be a much more instinctive decision than one that is purely rational for a decision like, shall I marry this person or shall I ask this person out? And that brings us to the, to, the human, to the human meaning world of faith. You know, some people would claim that, that religion is inherently irrational and say things like, well, does it make sense that the world was created in six days? And of course it doesn't, 
and the world wasn't created in six days. But if you understand that the first chapter of Genesis is a poem, is a song, then the comparison becomes a little bit silly. That comparison between faith and a scientific theory. It's like saying which is truer, Mary Oliver's poem about the grasshopper or a scientific paper in the journal Nature about the grasshopper. Which is, which is truer, the poem or the scientific paper? Well, the comparison is meaningless. They're just two different things. One is trying to describe as, as accurately as possible. The other is trying to evoke a connection, a love, an opening into what it means to, to live life, to be human through a poem about a grasshopper. And faith is poetry plus. It's not science minus. It's poetry plus. Faith is trying to work out how to live, how to find meaning. Science is just trying to describe the world with as much accuracy and as much truth as possible. Two different tasks. When science gives us indisputable facts, we have to take that on and add those facts to our understanding of the world. Truth is always gain. But the task of faith is to be consistent with the facts of the world, not to contradict any of those facts. That would be a ridiculous thing to do, to contradict any facts that are given to us with, but with great amount of certainty by science. But saying, yes, all that, all that is true, we're not, we're not going to contradict that. But while doing that, do a different task, which is the work of beauty making, of love making, of meaning making, of poetry making, of justice making, of freedom making. Science describes the world and in itself can be deeply inspiring in showing us so many things about the world. But faith adds a flavour of poetry to that and opens us to, to a deeper heart connection to the world and to the universe.